0: Good morning. My name is Mark. Hi, my name is Hayden. I'm Paul. My name is Diana Nichols, and I'm an artist. My name is Melinda. My name's uh, Rich. My name's Ryan, and these are my chickens. My name is Mike. Hi, my name is Zach. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bree, and I love coffee. Like I totally love it. I, t- I, it's a problem. Probably the craziest thing I ever did was I like, put a backpack on and bought a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires, Argentina goal was to live there for one year, and I did it. Uh, this is my friend Lucy. She's a dog. I'm heading to the office. So I'm doing my best to cut back those, and uh, this is my first cup today. So I have a pregnant wife and a pregnant goat, both do at the same time, and I'm trying to figure out where do I end up when the birthing happens. Uh, I love infomercials. Uh, God took Lisa and uh, me to uh, Vietnam. To adopt our daughter. I bought a few products and my wife's not very happy about that. And I am a lifetime U2 fan. And I'm a cosmetology student. My life changed when? 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 This morning, we actually have, we're in for a real treat. Um, we have Pastor Ryan Roadman from the Bath Campus. Come on, let's give Ryan a hand. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Ryan, why don't you come on up here? Um, Ryan has been a uh, has been a part of Grace Church since 2000, so 15 years, and he's been a pastor on staff at Bath for about seven or eight of those years. So, again, if you could give, give him one more welcome, big round of applause, Pastor Ryan Roadman.
1: Yay. Thanks, guys. I'm glad to be here, for sure. Uh, just as a, a side note, I kind of have a crush on you guys, man. I, I love Tony, and uh, we went to high school together, and so anytime I get to have any little piece of information about what's happening at the Medina campus, I, like, totally tuned in. And so I've been kind of watching and hearing and listening as you guys have journeyed together for the last handful of years, and I just love seeing what God is doing here. It's amazing, and it's amazing to be a part of, so... Privileged to be with you, and uh, I'm extremely excited to be with you here in your brand new space. Lots and lots of fun. I realize that uh, some of us haven't met each other. We don't know each other yet, and so I'll tell you a few quick things about myself. Uh, as Seth mentioned, I'm a pastor at the Bath Campus, and I've been part of Grace for a little while now. And I want to introduce you here to my wife, Lori. We'll put her up here on the screen. And, uh, yeah, she's hot. That's right. <laughs> and I put, uh, I put a picture of myself there as well to make sure you actually believe that I married her, right? I think at Grace, one of the things that happens is uh, it's like part of what you have to do to be on staff is you have to marry like way up. And so I feel pretty successful in doing that. And then these uh, are our four kids. Uh, Lauren, I've been married for 13 years. We've got uh, four kids. Uriah is our son, Isabella, Eden, and Olivia. And so four kids in five years, uh, we have not slept much at all. But, man, we have a ton of fun raising these, these crazy children. They're a blast. So I wanted to make sure you knew that. And then now I want to tell you a quick story about myself. So whenever we have guests over to our house, um, Lori and I, we have folks over, friends, folks who have never been there before. I always kind of go through this process with people that come to my house. So we usually eat dinner and hang out a little bit. And then sometime throughout the experience of the Roadman home, you know, at some point, I want to take people outside and uh, I, I want to introduce them to something that's very important to me. You see, you see, I uh, heat my house with wood. I love wood. I love to cut wood. I love to chop wood. I love to split wood. And so, sometime, if you came to my house, what would happen is I would eventually take you outside and I'd show you my wood pile. It, that's what would happen. You know, and if we had enough time, I would show you my chainsaw in my splitting mall, right? And kind of everything uh, that has to do with wood because I, I like it a lot. And uh, one time, right, my, after I've done this, a handful of times after our right, guests have come over, Lori stops me after the guests leave and she's like, honey, you know I love you, right? And I'm like, yeah, dear. And she goes, sweetie, uh, you need to understand something. What's that? Nobody wants to see your wood pile, honey. I was like blown away, man, right? So I, I talked to the people at the Bath Campus about this and I asked them, I said, Hey, you guys want to see my wood pile, don't you? You know, and they were like, Yes, we do. We absolutely want to see your wood pile. I, I I went to the Norton campus and I asked those nice people if they wanted to see my wood pile, and they said, Yes we do. And so I'm gonna ask you, would you like to see my wood pile? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I I just want to make sure you're ready for it, right? This is only just this is one of my wood piles. And this is like this is virtually like coming to my house. Are you ready to see it? You ready? Here it is. Boom. I feel personally connected to you now. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Fun stuff. So that is my wood pile and uh, I'm fired up to be with you, fired up to continue this What happened? Oh. I forgot I'm at the Pun campus. It's like Part of what you have to do to even be here, I should have known. That was not intentional, but somebody grabbed it, nicely done. <laughs> Love being with you guys uh, this morning, and I'm super fired up by the series, My Life Changed When, and uh, I know personally for me, um, my life has changed radically, right? I had no church background, didn't grow up knowing Jesus, and so for me, uh, when I say my life changed when, that, that really means something to me. Cause I met Jesus as a young adult and, and saw that kind of radical shift in my life play out. And I have been able to tell that story over and over and over again. Actually, Tony would have known me both before and after and seen that life change out play out for me. And now over the last handful of weeks here, as you guys know, if you've been around or maybe you're coming in for the first time, we've been capturing major events or themes that are, are kind of moments or times when life change plays out. And so we've talked about uh, things like loss or taking a risk. We've talked about things like uh, when someone invested in me. These were key trigger moments when our lives are changed, right? When we're moved into a different direction and Jesus affects us in a deep way and everything changes from there. And so we're going to continue that conversation today and we're going to talk about when I chose Peace. I think in your programs it actually says forgiveness. We're going to talk about choosing peace is actually the conversation today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a book of the Bible today. We're actually going to learn a whole book. We're going to look at the book of Philemon. And here's the context a little bit. The Apostle Paul wrote this story. It's one chapter of the Bible. And what I feel like he's doing is he's zooming us into someone's my life changed when moment. It's as if someone is standing on the brink of the decision that would change their lives forever, and the Apostle Paul is calling someone to make that decision. We're going to look at that, and we're going to see three people, actually life changes playing out for all three of them, even though the sole focus of this book of the Bible is on a guy named Philemon. Why don't we go ahead and turn there, Turn there to the book of Philemon. If you don't have a Bible or newer translation of the Bible, you should be able to find one underneath the chairs there. And uh, you can even take that home with you if you don't have a copy yourself. Love to see you have a copy of God's Word and uh, and be able to use that personally. The book of Philemon, if you're not familiar with it, look in the uh, kind of your table of contents. It's in the New Testament. It's a letter from Paul. And uh, Paul is writing from prison He is in jail, in a difficult situation, and he's going to be appealing to a brother and a friend, a guy named Philemon. And even before we dive in here, I want to set up the context a little bit, because it's a little different than what we're used to. The context of the book of Philemon is one of slavery, right? And we don't, we're not used to that, it's not normal for us, let me explain a little bit of the situation that Paul is writing in, so here's how this works, right, when 2,000 years ago, when the gospel came into existence, the message of Jesus started to come out, there were some kind of social relationships that were already in place, right? So it was normal in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago for there to be slave owners and for there to be slaves, Right? think employer employee it was almost that common that if you're a wealthy person and you needed to have some help that you would have a slave or two around in your home serving your household and so these relationships already existed and the gospel message would come into those relationships and would change everything about them and you might be asking it does God approve of slavery is, is God pro-slavery? Why didn't God just change slavery immediately when, when the Bible was being written? Why didn't he undo that? And I would tell you that God did not change the social institution of slavery immediately, but the gospel message would change slavery from the inside out. Here's what I mean. Paul would teach slave masters or slave owners what you need to do is treat your slaves as if they're your actual brother. When slaves were viewed at that time as property, right, as personal property that you could kind of utilize as needed and then discard, he says, I want you to treat that person like a brother or sister. And he would talk to slaves and say, Slaves, I want you to treat your master and serve them earnestly as if you're serving Jesus himself. And what happened is that relationship began to change radically, and over time, eventually, that would even undo slavery in our country. That from the inside out, slavery would completely change. And Paul even says in the the book of First Corinthians, chapter seven, twenty one. You can look that up later. He said, "Hey, if, if you can get free as a slave, go for it." And eventually, the institution of slavery would move and would change want to make sure you have that context even before we move further into the book. Paul, as I mentioned, is writing to Philemon, a wealthy slave owner. And uh, let me read this to you and then we'll set up the conversation a little more, begin to dig into it. So I'm going to jump us down to verse 8 in the book of Philemon. Here's what Paul's going to say to him. He says therefore although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love It is as none other than Paul an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus Paul would have been elderly an elderly man writing from prison now He says that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Let me talk this through, introduce you to these three people. As I mentioned, there's these three major players that are playing out here in our story. And the first one we're going to look at is this guy named Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy slave owner, he is going to be a guy that Paul's focusing in on. He had a church in his house. And one of the things we're going to learn about Philemon is Philemon was not happy. That's why he had that face. This is like the Bible by emoticons, right? So we're, Philemon is not happy uh, because his slave, this other guy we're going to set up, his name is Onesimus. Onesimus took advantage of Philemon And Onesimus ran away from Philemon. When he did that, he was not yet a Christ follower. He stole some property, most likely from Philemon, ran away and disappeared. And somehow he ran into Paul. Let me continue to read the story and we'll continue to put some skin on this. Verse 12. Paul says this, he says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. He's in jail solely for the sake of his faith in Christ. He was put there in an act of persecution. He says, I'm in chains for the gospel. I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would, uh, would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Let me finish this out and we'll talk it through. It says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Lots going on here. Philemon, the wealthy slave owner, probably because he was a Christ follower, began to interact with Onesimus with kindness. He probably began to treat him like a brother because that's what Paul and the, the gospel teachers would have instructed him to do. He would have begun to put his, his uh, kindness into Onesimus' life. Onesimus, a slave, not yet a believer, ran away, stole property. Somewhere along the line, he runs into the author of the book of Philemon, Paul. And what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to lead Onesimus to Jesus and to faith in Christ. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to look at Onesimus who has run away from Philemon, who has wronged Philemon. He's going to look at Philemon who has been wronged. He loves Onesimus and he loves Philemon. And he's going to look at these two guys that he loves and he's going to say, Oh man, I want you guys to reconcile. You are a brother in Christ and you are a brother in Christ. I want you guys to get peace in your life. I want to see that relationship restored. Man, I love you and I love you and I want you guys to love one another. There's a brokenness in your relationship. He looks at Philemon and says, Philemon, maybe the very reason this whole thing played out is so that Onesimus could come to know Christ And you could have him back, and he could be your brother, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Right now that he has come to know Christ, he has become your brother permanently. Okay. Here's our situation. Here's our three major players. Now, what I think is fascinating about this story, this is not a story we talk about all the time, but I think it's incredibly useful to us and incredibly important. Here's why. I believe this story sets up for us a situation and a set of principles that we can understand because these three people, I think, represent three roles or three seats that we're going to find ourselves in in any human conflict. Because here's the reality. If I'm a, a person who has relationships with other people, all right, and I'm a sinful person, the, the Bible says that clearly, right? We're all kind of messed up. What's going to happen is I'm going to run into conflict at some point. I'm going to bump into you, and I'm going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt me, right? And we're going to run into these impasses where conflict erupts. And the question is, how do we deal with that? How do we move through that conflict to a place of peace? And what we're going to see is that that decision to choose peace is life-changing. Let me first set up our Three major seats that we're going to find ourselves in. Philemon, the one who has been wronged, represents the seat of the offended. The seat of the offended. He was offended by Onesimus. Onesimus represents the seat of the offender. right? He, he's the guy that has done wrong. And Paul, in the middle here, is playing out the role of the peacemaker the peacemaker, the offended, the offender, the guy that gets in the middle, the peacemaker. Now, I know if, if I were Philemon and someone had wronged me, for example, like if somebody came to my house, stole wood from my wood pile, that would deeply offend me, right? I would be wronged by that. You guys know how this is, right? You know what it is to be offended. You know what it is to be hurt. You know what it is to be wrong, to be taken advantage of. Some of you know what it is to be abused. You know pain from relationships. You know what it means to be in that seat where you trusted and you thought and somebody took your good nature and they took advantage of it and they ran away. That's, that's how Philemon would feel in this situation. I remember as a child uh, crying myself to sleep at night. My parents, um, I didn't know this at the time, but they both grew up in unhealthy situations. Neither of them knew the Lord. Neither of them knew anything about marriage. They were young. You know, they got married young. My dad's dad died when he was seven. My mom had experienced multiple divorces, Right from her parents and her grandparents. It was a situation that was bound for failure. My parents divorced, and I remember crying myself to sleep at night because my dad didn't live with me. He lived in Texas for a while, in California for a while, and man, I just wanted him back. You know? And I wanted so badly for that relationship to have worked. <laughs> and I remember as a young man being frustrated that I didn't have the dad that I wanted. And I was offended by that. Why? I don't get it. I don't understand. Why don't I get to have what that kid has in a father? Why, can't, why couldn't my parents like make it work and all of it play out, it was offensive to me. I remember thinking, I don't know if I can forgive them for this. I'm wronged. It's not fair. It's not right. I don't get it. And and there are scars and pieces of my heart that are damaged and I'm experiencing that damage probably in some ways even today. I'm offended. You guys have those two, right? Where you have been hurt and you have been wronged. You have sat in the seat of the offended. Because we also know what it means to sit in the seat of the offender. I do. I know when I came to know Jesus, um, I was in a, a portion of my life that, that I was running rampant with selfishness. I did not know how to live. I didn't know anything about Jesus. And what I knew was what I wanted and what I wanted was what I was going to do. And I was going to run through anybody who was going to get in my way. And so when I came to know Christ, one of the things the Bible says is that when we come to know Christ, the Bible, the gospel will shine light on the motivations of our heart, right? It shines light and says, ooh, Look at all these motivations, and it un- unveils some of the, the evil in our hearts. When I came to know Jesus, I started to see that all these decisions that I had made were unbelievably selfish. I was not considering all the people around me that I was kind of stomping on to get to the top. I had hurt friends, and I had hurt family. I had hurt um, romantic relationships, girls that I had dated or emotionally taken advantage of. I was an offender in that way. I realized my offenses to God and I realized my offenses to my parents and my friends and my family. And I'm like, man, this is, this is a mess that I have created. Sat in the seat of the offender and had to own this reality of, of saying, man, how do I go back and make this thing right? You guys know what it's like to sit there? to know that you have harmed or you have owned a piece of a broken relationship and there's maybe some wrong that we have done in it and we find ourselves sitting in the seat of the offender broken relationships play out all the time and we find ourselves in these seats now one of the things that happens here is Paul looking at the offended and Paul looking at the offender, he gets himself into the middle of that broken relationship and he says, Oh, I want to see peace play out. I want to be the peacemaker. And here's the thing: Paul is not the bright, shiny, good guy, right? That gets to get in the middle and and call everybody to do the right thing. Paul has also done both of these things. He has sat in both of these seats. I'll so just give you a quick update on what Paul has done. Paul is a guy who's been deeply offensive to others. He has been the offender. He has persecuted Christians. He has literally sat as someone picked up rocks and threw them at a Christ follower because of their faith in Jesus. He approved of their death. He drew Christians out of their homes and put them in prison. He offended God and he offended his fellow man. He knows what it's like to sit in that seat to have been guilty, and to need to be forgiven. I'll tell you, Paul also knows what it means to be offended. Paul's a guy, this is a fun story, you may not know about it, it plays out in the book of Acts, where Paul was on these missionary journeys with a couple other guys, and they would travel all over the place, and these missionary journeys were dangerous. Paul would literally be stoned himself at one point, and and the trust and the bond between Paul and his companions on these trips had to be so fragile and so well-guarded. They needed to rely on each other and depend on each other, and a guy named Mark, one of these two guys he was on this trip with, he quit on them one day when they needed him most. And... Paul would look at this guy named Mark and say, I'm done working with him. I can't rely on him. It's over. They got into a fight. We're talking about pastors getting in fights. And look and saying, I can't work with that guy. I'm offended by him. He abandoned us in our time of need. It's over. Broken relationship. Paul knows what it means to be the offender. He knows what it means to be the offended. He gets in the middle and he says, man... I need peace to happen. I want to show you one reason why I think this is so important to Paul. If you look in the book of Philemon, the very end here in verse 23 and 24, he's sending his greetings from his fellow workers. He says, Epaphras, in verse 23, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he sends you his greetings, and he says this in 24, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, In this situation, when Paul says Mark and he puts him first, here's what everybody who's reading this letter knows. Everybody knows about the fight between Paul and Mark. Everybody knows that they broke up and they weren't working together. And they all know about how they reconciled. We don't know all of how that played out. But it shows up here because Paul is going to say that Mark is useful to him. He's a fellow worker. Man, he knows the, the importance, the critical importance of working to a place of peace. And now he puts himself in the middle of that situation and he says, oh man, you've got to work this out. You've got to move towards peace. Let me give you guys a verse. I think if Paul had to sum this all up, here's how I think Paul would lay it out for us. This is a verse worth memorizing. It is a fantastic verse. Let me give it to you. Romans 12, 18. Romans 12, 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Just listen. It's just one verse. But it is so important in human relationships. Here's what Paul says. He says, if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me read that again. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A couple things I want to say that I think Paul would draw our attention to. Sometimes peace is not possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you have done everything you can do. You have said everything you know how to say. You have humbled yourself. You have taken ownership for your side of the broken relationship. And Jesus would even tell tell us, hey, sometimes this thing, it's not able to be fully reconciled. Peace isn't always possible. But Paul's going to tell us, he says, hey, as far as it depends on you, whatever's in your power, any initiative that you can take to make peace in a broken relationship, as far as it depends on you, own that. You be the one to initiate contact. You be the one to open the conversation up again. You be the one, right, to fire this thing up and, and however you need to move towards peace, do it. Here's how Paul would lay it out for us. Whatever seat I find myself in, if I'm in the seat of the offended or I'm in the seat of the peacemaker, if I'm in the seat of the offender, we are all called to move towards and to choose peace. Paul's saying it's not okay anymore. Now that you're a Christ follower, it's not okay to have broken relationships. Not that we didn't try. right? Not that we didn't move towards. It's not okay to blow people off because there's 7 billion other people on the planet we can talk to. It says, it's not all right to treat people like they're dead to us. Paul would say, is there somebody that, you know, when you show up at the grocery store or you go to Target, that, that you run the other way because that person's there? And you blush and you think, oh no, I can't have that conversation. Is there someone that I'm not talking to? Is there somebody that I have to take a step towards peace with? Because I want to show you this story. It's a a video of our friend Zach here. He's an amazing My Life Changed When story. It's all about how he moved towards peace. Let's watch this for a minute.
0: Hi, my name is Zach, and my life changed uh, when I chose peace. Um, You know, in in my life, I've really only had uh, two people that I ever really counted as, as very good friends. Um, and when I was 19 years old, uh, one of them shot and killed my older brother in the kitchen of my apartment. And when I was 25 years old, um, my wife and I were in a church, and it was, um, there was a gentleman there mentoring us and teaching my kids Sunday school class that I later found out I had been having an affair with my wife. Um, we eventually got a divorce based on that. Um, two years ago, when I accepted Christ, um, I had a lot of issues um, with trust. Uh, with bitterness, um, with quite frankly just pure hatred. And over about a six-month process of really just praying about it and, and giving it over to the Lord. And, and when those people entered my mind, um, instead of um, being filled with so much hatred, just, just really praying and, and trying to give it over to God in the best way that I know how. Um, God has really turned both situations upside down Uh, The gentleman that shot my brother, I was able to reach out to um, through uh, texting and through letters um, with an amazing positive response from him. And um, since then, my relationship with my ex and her new husband has uh, grown by leaps and bounds um, to the point to where last summer when my wife and my children were baptized, her and her husband and family actually attended the baptism services. Isn't
1: that an amazing story? I think one of the most profound things about what, what Zach's telling us here is his story was tragic, right? He had tragic things happen to him that weren't his fault. And Zach's story could have been these horrible things happened to me and now these horrible things have defined my life, and I have become a victim, and I have become embittered by them. That could have been his story, because he's a guy who's been deeply offended. What's amazing is it's an amazing story of life change, because as this tragic thing played out, he was able to move towards a place of peace, and that changed everything for Zach. It's huge. As, what do we do with this conversation, this book of the Bible? How do we internalize this and walk away with it? I think the first thing that we need to do is we look at these three seats that we may find ourselves in. We begin to ask, are there broken relationships in my life today? Is there a conflict playing out? Is there a neighbor that I won't talk to or it's somebody from my old church or I'm, I'm harboring bitterness against someone? Someone? Is there some relationship that is broken somewhere and who knows why and how it all plays out, but I, I need to begin to see myself in one of these seats? Am I in the seat of the offended? I'd like to talk to each of these. Am I in a place today where you have been hurt deeply? You guys, Listen. If you have been offended, if abuse has happened or divorce has happened, pain, unbelievable, unspeakable pain has come into your life. You need to understand that God sees that pain and he knows that pain. He knows the tears and the frustration and the anger. He knows all of that and he knows it more fully than any other human being could ever know it. And he loves you and he is heartbroken that you have experienced that. Because it's a big deal that you understand that. That pain was real, that pain hurt and you have a heavenly father who is with you in it. It's critical. If you are in that situation where you are on the receiving side of offense, you have been offended and you have been hurt. Think our move towards peace looks like forgiveness. looks like forgiveness. There's a point for me as a young man when I realized that if I didn't forgive my dad, That was going to ruin my life. It was going to mark me. And I would be a victim because I was a kid that didn't have a dad. All of us who have suffered offenses have to make that decision to embrace forgiveness, to look at the grace of God that has come into our lives. Right? We look at the offenses that we have caused against God and the mercy and the grace and the love that He would offer to us. Guys gives us the ability to forgive as we have been forgiven. And to move towards peace through decision to forgive. And I will tell you, I think forgiveness is the hardest thing that we as humans do. I think it's incredibly difficult and incredibly important because it releases us of bitterness and it changes our lives. I move towards peace through forgiveness. I own that decision. Let me say this. That's incredibly complicated how that shows up in your relationship. What I mean by that is this. There's not always a place where I forgive from the heart, but maybe that relationship doesn't make sense to pursue. Maybe you're forgiving somebody who has passed already or you're forgiving an ex-spouse. There's all kinds of scenarios. Talk to a life group leader. Talk to a pastor. However you need to function that out, get another set of eyes on what reconciliation might look like. But guys, forgiveness from the heart is the first step. Between you and God, Lord, this person is your problem. I release the bitterness. I choose to forgive as I've been forgiven. This person's your responsibility. Huge decision. If I'm sitting in the seat of the offended, guys, if you're sitting in the seat of the offender, this is what I think tends to happen. In broken relationships, this happens all the time where I'm looking at the situation and it's not 100% my fault and 0% theirs. It's somewhere in the middle. It's 60, 40, it's 80, 20. There's a part that I own and there's a part that you own and we'll argue about who was the one who really caused the problems. Here's the thing. If you look at a broken relationship and there is any part of that broken relationship that you can own, even if it's 10%, anything. If you look and say, you know what, if I was really honest, I'm responsible for this part. I hurt them in this way. I shouldn't have said that. I should have practiced self-control. I should have reeled it in. I took advantage. I took for granted. I hurt. If there's a broken relationship and there's a peace that I can own, guys, listen, your move towards peace is through one of humility. It's humbling myself and saying, I, I'm gonna own the peace that I can own. Why? Relationships and people are worth it. They are not to be discarded. They are not disposable. That relationship matters. And I am responsible before God to be at peace with all men. If it's possible, as far as it depends on me. If I'm in the seat of the offender, I move towards peace through humility. The last seat is the seat of the peacemaker. You might be sitting in a situation where you understand what it means to be in these other seats. You're not there right now, but you're looking at a broken relationship right in front of you. You're looking at two close family members or two people that you love deeply who are in a broken relationship. I'm not talking about meddling, I'm not talking about sticking our noses where they don't belong. I'm talking about two people that I have an intimate relationship with that there's brokenness in that relationship, man, and and I'm the right person to move towards them, to get involved, to be a peacemaker. As if that's where you are today, your move towards peace is through courage. Because here's the reality you get involved and get in the middle of a broken relationship, it's pretty likely that you're gonna take hits from both sides. It's worth it, it's worth it. That takes wisdom to understand when to get involved and when not to, but have the courage if you know you need to, to move into that situation. If I'm offended, choose forgiveness. If I'm the offender, I choose humility. If I'm the peacemaker, I need some courage. This is what it means to move towards peace. Guys, listen. I heard this story the other day of a set of siblings who had lost track of each other, had hurt each other, And one day they woke up and one of them had died alone in their home and they were alone for a week, dead. Nobody knew. No connections. Oh man, it got a hold of me for some reason. Because I'm in a phase of life where my kids, you know, they're all between two and eight, you know. And the deepest hurts they cause against one another is like stealing each other's Legos. It's no big deal, right? They're just they get along. I know that that will change, by the way. But I, I imagine because their passion for one another, to be together, to love one another, right? They go a couple days without seeing each other, and they're like longing to be with one another. And I thought. How is it possible that we go from this kind of love and affection and intimacy with one another to being completely fractured and fragmented where we don't talk and there's brokenness in relationships? Because you know what I began to get a hold of was the heart of God. Because when God looks at us, he feels like I do about my little nuclear family, like my kids. You know, I realize is God loves my enemy, the person who hurt me, more than I love my own kids. And it breaks his heart when peace can't happen, when we can't figure it out. His passion is to see his family united and to see harmony in relationships. Guys, and life change happens on that road. Would you move towards peace today? So guys, I'm going to ask the band to come out and I want to pray for us. Ask God to bring these relationships to our mind. See life change happen through it. Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you that you sent your son as the ultimate peacemaker. Because, Lord, we have offended you deeply in our sin. And because of your grace and your rich mercy, you move towards us. And Lord, you offered your son to make peace and to bring healing in our brokenness. Lord, I I wanna pray today for my friends who have been offended. Lord, I pray that you would heal Lord, that you would move our hearts towards forgiveness. Even if it's from 20 years ago. Wherever those offenses find themselves, Lord, help us to forgive. Lord, I pray for my friends and I who have been in the seat of the offender. Lord, would you give us humility to say, Lord, it's it's my fault. I own it. I was wrong, I'm responsible. God, would you give us courage to be peacemakers, people that long for the unity and the harmony that comes from the heart of God. Lord, help us to see today how we might move towards peace you work in our hearts and work in our minds, heal our relationships. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus.